In a memoir about standing up and standing out, one writer slash fashion editor must weave her way through society's expectations, cheating boyfriends, and the racism, sexism, and doing too muchism of corporate before finding she needs none of it to be enough. The writer slash fashion editor, Elaine Welteraw. The book, More Than Enough, Claiming Space for Who You Are, No Matter What They Say. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Alexis, how you doing? Girl, shoot. <laughs> I don't know. I'm here though. Oh, can I tell y'all? Get y'all a friend that without you asking makes dinner for you and your man. <laughs> Alexis surprised us with a five course dinner last night <laughs> for no true. reason. And I cannot just say I love your family. I got your dinner. I got a gift from one of your sisters for no reason. And I appreciate it. So I'm waiting for the other two sisters to send me something. They falling behind a negative one. No, I'm just kidding. I love y'all so much. But thank you for that, girl. And you made everything with like um, organic, like straight from the farm produce, right? Yeah, straight from the farm produce. The farmer's market is my favorite place. Well, anything else you want to chat about? You want to share with the class? Uh, girl, I got my nails done. I'm going to get my nails <laughs> done regularly. I think I might do that. It's an investment. I'm going to get back into that, you know. Well, you COVID. know, I believe in that. But yeah, you went Put to a salon out. and had a stranger <laughs> touch your hands? <laughs> I did. Wow. <sighs> Actually, wow. I went late enough that I was the only one there, me and the worker bee. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. All masked up. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, you got to invest in yourself. And yeah, yeah, you're masked up. They probably have a little bit of plexiglass yep, to pretend. Yeah, that's yeah. a great way to pretend you being safe. It's a yes. risk. It's all a risk. <laughs> and when I go back in the house, nah, I'm not coming back out. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Now, readers, it's time for our theme of the week. As you know, if you listen to this show, each week we choose a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And this week, the theme I chose is how to ask for a pay raise in the pandemic. Mm, in the pandemic. In the yes. Pandemic. Alexis, mm. have you ever asked for a raise? Uh, yes. <laughs> Did you get what you asked for? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Talk more about that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember. Oh, you know what it was? You know what it was? What? I got a boost. Yes. Which is okay. what I requested. So. Okay. I'm going to change this topic to how to get what you ask for from your employer. Mm-hmm. Even during the pandemic. Now, I have uh, maybe once asked for a raise. Uh, what I've asked for uh, on two occasions, one was a short leave. A so short leash? Leave. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I want a short. Please micromanage <laughs> me. No, I did not ask for that. I asked to um, go away for a couple months to Italy to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And then I asked... Um, 
more recently for a day off during the week for the same volunteer purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think these principles that we're going to talk about apply, even if you're not asking for a raise, maybe money isn't what you need. Maybe what you need is time Um, and you need your position to be held and appreciated. Even if you Mm -hmm. only come in, uh, you know, four (laughs) tens or something, four days a week, 10 hours or whatever. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to share four tips from Glamour UK. And I chose Glamour because our um, the subject of the mem- today's memoir worked there briefly. She had a stint. Well, I won't say briefly. She had a stint at Glamour magazine. And then, as we all know, Teen Vogue. Um, and she talked about the, mm, I won't say hypocrisy, but I guess I will, of how you are. Hypocrisy <laughs> and she called yeah. him out for it. Mm. Yeah. A lot of women are told, don't speak too loudly. Don't shake the table be happy you have a seat even if you're not getting compensated fairly and there were things that she wanted that she was at sometimes um, afraid to ask for or asked for and didn't necessarily receive at the time so I'm going to glamour here we go four tips number one number one tip on how to get what you want from your employer even during the pandemic is to not ignore the obvious And I'll include my source in the show notes, by the way, guys, if you're wondering where this article came from. Um, So don't ignore what's going on in the world. We are in the middle of a panorama and folks are being furloughed and still laid off. Uh, Although there are a lot of jobs out there and that can actually play into your favor. But if, um, you know, your company has been receiving a lot of people have been laid off from your company, then ultimately you want to ensure that you're in a good Um, like stride and not setting yourself up for failure. The greatest advantage you can give yourself is correct timing. So if ever, if your whole department got laid off, except you, maybe this ain't the time to ask for a raise or whatever. Everything. Timing is everything. Uh, Number two, show them what you do. Working from home, a lot of employees find it hard to show what they're doing all day. Now, what I like to do, no one asked me to, but what I like to do is have a um, spreadsheet that lists everything I did that day. And I don't do this consistently because it takes time to make that sheet and that's Mm -hmm. time you can spend working. So I hate the fact that you have to um, like show what you're doing and that takes time away from what you're doing. Um, But it might help your employer to see how you're consistently um, working for the company on a day to day basis, even from home. Um, So one quote here in the Glamour article I'll I'll, um, read, it says, I've noticed a rise in employees striving to have something tangible to show for their day. There's a need to produce work they can physically show rather than partake in meeting after meeting all day. Oh, that spoke to me. So many meetings, so little being done. As a result, continuing this quote, I have observed employees consciously and subconsciously taking note of what their colleagues are accomplishing on a day to day basis. You're worrying about somebody else's business. That's too much. (laughs) Well, that's how it works. So your employee, your employer might be trying to take note of what you do on a day to day basis. Why not make that easier for them? More than likely, they don't even know what you do in the full sense. That's just how it is. So there are no lies with that one. Number three. Don't get to the point too quickly. What that means is if you sit down and you like, hey, Alexis, I want the raise. You know, I deserve it. What you going to do? That's very off putting. Uh, yeah, that that and that. um, Yeah, that don't work. Beat around the bush. 
<laughs> um, you know, a, ne- a negotiation, it's a negotiation. So don't necessarily always come to the table with what you want in mind clearly. And that might mean specific dollars. That might mean specific benefits, whatever you want, know what you want so that you can ex- express that because someone might just say, okay, then what do you want? And you can't be like, uh, Diva, um, more money. Nah, be like, I want the average rate for what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, you know, 20,000 more a year. I've been here for this long. This is what I create. Um, This is a major project. These are a few major projects I've spearheaded. And this is how they've helped the company. I want to continue working like Mm -hmm. this for the company. I am invested in this company. Is the company invested in me? If so, I'd like to see that in real dollars. Um, that match what others are making in my industry. That's it. That's so fair. This ain't family. You're not asking for a favor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're asking to be compensated fairly. Yeah. Uh, number four, don't assume your seniority equals value in your boss's eyes. <clears throat> it don't. I've been here for five years and I found out that Sally Sue gets paid this amount. So is she only been here three years? Don't nobody care? That don't got nothing <laughs> to do with life. No. Essentially, a salary increase is an investment in a person and what they can achieve, not a reward for time they accumulate. And I love that. So, Not yeah, you've been there and they've been paying you, right? <laughs> so that's your reward for being there. You want more money? What are you bringing? So, um, and then I have just a couple tips of my own. And I think maybe Alexis might have something to share. Uh, my first tip is to make it feel like a luncheon. It doesn't have to be weird, you know? More than likely, they're not paying you from their own pocket. They kind of are, though, probably, if your whole department has a budget. But listen, listen, this is so normal. So even if it's via Zoom, send a meeting invite. Take control of the time and the setting. And when they come, when they show up, you show up. But make it comfortable. I I honestly feel like you should feel like they're a guest in your home. I remember walking into my boss's office and I told him, have a seat. Do you have what you need? Because we're not going to be here long, but we might. So do you need some coffee or something? You know, and how are the grandkids? Uh oh. You know? You say take a personal interest. <laughs> yes. Is that necessary? Yes. yes. No, it ain't. <laughs> this is about business. You and ain't got to do the small talk. And then when the lull, I say do it. Alexis, say don't. And then when the lull comes or they just get to the, okay, what can I do for you? Then you go, what you can do for me is help me help you. Okay. And you get into how, and this leads to point number two, frame it all as a benefit for the company, which it is. Now, when I left for a couple months, I was like, listen, we're an international company. We want people who embrace that like international citizen um, like philosophy and lifestyle. What I am asking for is not time off to go vacation somewhere. I want to use my skills um, for the benefit of others. And those others just happen to live farther away. Now, I also presented what I can still do for the company while on this semi leave. So I did work a few hours at night. Um, but I didn't do that consistently. For real, I was off. Uh, when I asked for time, 
When I asked for a different all out schedule more recently and I asked for a day completely off, uh-huh. I let them know this is actual, you know, dollars and cents that you're saving without sacrificing anything because of this, this and this. Who don't want more money? I know you do. Who don't want more money? <laughs> and well. how many people are coming into your office not asking for more money, but asking you to help the company, help help yourself, you know? I didn't say it like that. I said, well, you know, Brandon, I, I was just wondering if you know how, <laughs> you know how you gotta do when you want something. Uh, but yeah, do that. Honestly, if they like real old school and they like to golf, you know, go be their caddy. I don't know. I used to do that. It's actually kind of fun. Whatever. The point is, maybe join your boss and their mate for a outing and butter them up before you ask come on y'all this is normal you know you want something you know get you know endear yourself to people i do not know that life at all so those are my two tips make it feel like a luncheon and frame it as a benefit for the company but alexis get real with the people what's worked for you and what do you believe in i said get to the facts facts on facts (laughs) present and then you know there's different um styles right so some people don't like their time wasted yeah so you have to um for some people you have to get to the point so what you want to do is learn how your the person that you're making this request to receives information so if they don't like that um extra talk that um schmoozing if you will that buttering up don't do that don't for for real don't do that because that's not going to benefit you at all what you need um sometimes you want to have people that are just about facts so you give them facts and that's what you present and of course you include your value and how you contribute but don't um smooth people who don't need to be smoothed for sure and i say if you don't have time to be smoothed you don't have time for a conversation you gotta eat Let's go, get, let's go get lunch. Let's go true. get dinner after work. People ain't got time for that I'm all I'm not going to negotiate with you under an intense situation. I'm not going to be secondary in your mind while you got, or, or um, what is it called? Thirdary? Tri- no, tertiary. What is Ter- it? Tertiary. Right. Tertiary, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, you smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, now I want to know what fourth is, but I'm not going to look it up. Okay, so I'm not going to be secondary or tertiary in your mind. I want all of your focus to be on me. I want you to be relaxed and I want us to have a conversation. It can be five minutes. I'm negotiated with less than five minutes. I can do it. But you ain't going to sit down and what do you want? No, I don't want nothing. Bye. (laughs) We ain't going to talk. You ain't ready. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Bye. You know what? This ain't even a good day for me. We'll do it another day. That's how I feel. Oh, the only thing that I'm I'm saying is that there are um, behavioral styles and how people receive information, and I just say take that into consideration um, because it 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 could help or hurt your um, argument. So just That's keep true. that in mind. That's all. Have you ever had a supervisor you couldn't have just a conversation with, and maybe it's the big boss or your boss? Um, it, it was the boss over my boss. She didn't like me. Okay. Um, so I say like leave. The thing is, we got to work together. (laughs) (laughs) You spend so much time with the people you work with and few things are more frustrating 
than an upper chain of command that doesn't communicate well or doesn't communicate well with you. So if people have made it personal and they, you know, don't they've decided they don't like you, it seems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then leave. Mm -hmm. If they control your money. And they don't like you. You don't need to be there. That don't help you nobody. Don't need to be there. I don't care if you at McDonald's, Popeyes, or a Fortune 500 company. If your upper management don't like you, and they showing on recommend you for nothing, uh, uh-uh. uh, it's time to go. So, um, anything else you want to add, Alexis? No, I don't want to add nothing. Okay. All right. So yeah, oh, I I'll do. Just, I do want to add yeah, something. Please. You know, sometimes you um. You go in with your offer and that's not available. What are you willing to accept? Right? Yes. What yes, you, what's yes. what's your um what's the word? What's your backup? What's your backup? For it instance, it is a conversation. Yeah. You cannot go in and say, I'm and give people an ultimatum, I'm mm-hmm. gonna have this or I'm gonna leave. That's not fair either. Because there may be gears in place you don't even know about. Right. So uh, you know, your company might be going under. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know. So, uh, yes, go in there with uh, a conversational mentality in mind, but what you want clear in mind also. Right? Yeah. Lastly, tertiary. No, just lastly, <laughs> be ready to leave. <laughs> so it is great when you go into negotiation to also go with another offer in the back of your mind. You don't necessarily want to say, I have this offer from so-and-so, so so if you don't give me what, you know, no ultimatums. But if the conversation shows a side of the company uh, you don't think will work well for your growth or for you, uh, always have that offer in your back pocket and you don't even need to talk about it there. You just finish that meeting, you get your plan together and you put in your two or even four-week notice. I think four-week notices are more fair, if you can. Um, They're generous. That's what they are. Uh, yeah, I just hate when people leave after two. What's two weeks? <laughs> Listen, my but colleague. I guess just, it's not your problem. It's, you. it's, that's Don't exactly burn bridges. Exactly. <laughs> my colleague just gave a three week notice. I'm like, really? Oh, that's but nice. That was generous. That was generous of her, and she was able to contribute a lot in those last three weeks. But um, and we appreciate her for that. But it's not a requirement that you give. Three weeks. You just being generous. Two weeks isn't an, a requirement, but Mm-mm. I mean, you know, do it. <laughs> but whatever. Anything else you want to no, add? No, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> so Alexis says, don't schmooze the unschmoozable. I say, make the unschmoozable schmooze loving. Schmooze, schmooze, schmooze. That's how I communicate. Behavioral I'm not styles. Be- behavioral styles. <laughs> do not respect people's behavior <laughs> styles. And on that note, <laughs> Uh, should we take a break and get into our book let's do that And her motivation for more than enough. Actually, no, I can't give you <laughs> any of that. Well, but it's a memoir, so that, it's going to be in the book. That's my point. That's yeah. my point. The book gives you the author's details, so I'm not going to dive into it. But what I will say is that the book was published in 2019. It's a New York Times bestseller. It won the 2020 NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Literary Work. 
biography, autobiography, and it's been optioned for development as a TV series by Paramount Television Studios. Okay. All right, cool. Um, now, do you have a brief synopsis for us? Yes. Okay. Yes, I no do. No spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Take I it can away. do that. A little girl with big dreams, Elaine Walter Roth, always wanted success. Her story takes us through her struggle with identity, relationships, and learning to navigate the world and claim her space. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Oh, if you love fashion, writing, old school magazine glossies, if you want to have a behind the scenes look at what a black editor of a major Condé Nast publication went through to get to where she was and all of that, that's fun. You'll enjoy this book. And what about you, Alexis? What were your first thoughts of More Than Enough? Uh, this was a book recommendation for me, like before we even got, we went live. So I finally had space for it. Um, the person was like, you would really love it because she tells a um, a, a very um, encouraging story on asking for what you want and, and coming into your uh, space. So I, I love the title. So it, 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 in, it interests me, if you will. Love it. Love it. Okay. And um, without further ado, right, we can get into a deep dive of the book. Yeah. Yep. Let's do that. Please take it away. <laughs> Part one, growing up. Elaine was born to an Irish father and a black American mother on December 10th, 1986 in California. She grew up in a small suburban town south of San Francisco with her older brother. While her parents had different backgrounds, they agreed to raise their children as black, knowing that the world would see them that way. Her mom made sure to instill black culture in the children. She took African dance class, wore braids, made her soul food meals um, for the family, of course. And they kept issues of Ebony and Jet magazine. The mom wanted the children to be fluent in black culture, and she made sure they knew black facts, black history period. And Elaine felt as if her parents didn't give them like a rigid definition for what it meant to be black or white. They never told them how to dress, how to speak, who they should date, what music they should listen to. They simply gave them room to grow, to be and grow and stand up for themselves. Elaine, yeah, grow into who they were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Elaine and her brother were both independent thinkers. They had a deep sense of justice and a willingness to fight for anything and anyone they believed in. She ran when she was 10 months, when she received a pair of pink Reeboks. And when she was three, she asked to be enrolled in her first pageant. And instead of clinging to her mother like the other toddlers, Elaine told her mom she wanted to go on stage by herself. And she went out there, told the audience a story about a ring her father gave her and blew the crowd a kiss. And she was crowned <laughs> the Tri-City Top Princess. So she had this boldness early on that, um, you know, she was an attention grabber. <laughs> she realized race when she went to school and she had to create a collage representing her family using the magazines. None of the magazines she saw had pictures that looked like her. So she created her own vision of what her family looked like. She created a white family. Then the teacher's assistant walked up and showed her black magazine and pointed to a black girl and tried to encourage her to make that selection. But Elaine went on with her choices. She was like, I ain't doing that. This is my she family. She want to fit in. Yeah, mm -hmm. she didn't want to stand out in that moment. Yeah. She was choose, a little kid. Yeah, choosing brown people made her see the 
differences, um, her differences. And as a child, you, you just don't want to be different. You want to blend yeah. in. That's just not that's not what you want to do. Choosing a black mom was harder. I saw very few, if any, women with skin the color of mahogany in those magazines. And if I did, none were as sophisticated or as regal as my mom. She woke up every morning at 5 a.m. to get dressed to the nines for her desk job, wearing silky blouses with strong shoulder pads, high-waisted pencil skirts, and heels with black tights. I couldn't find her anywhere in those pages. In the paper depiction of my life, I cast her as a brunette soccer mom type instead. It was just easier. I decided to be a blonde girl with long pigtails and just when things started getting really fun, as I was deciding which freckled little boy would be my brother, one of the teacher's aides interrupted me. The jig was up. The adults in the room seemed concerned. I felt like I'd been caught doing something wrong. The TA slyly pulled out the sole black magazine I hadn't touched and pointed to a black girl inside. Oh, she's pretty, she said in that artificially high-pitched tone adults use when cooing at babies. Then she flipped to another black girl who looked nothing like me. Oh, what about her? She reminds me so much of you. Her hair is just like yours. <laughs> she laughed awkwardly. I froze, ashamed. I got the message I was supposed to be cutting out brown people, but it all felt more complicated than that. Don't get me wrong. I loved my family just as they were. But adding a black mom, a black brother, a black me to this white paper family I was constructing would have meant having to own that I was not like the rest of my classmates. And I really didn't want that. I wanted to belong. To me, belonging meant blending into my environment. I know now that the teacher was trying to give me an out, to point me in the direction of who I really was. But the more she cooed and pointed at black people, the more singled out I felt. It's like somehow my baby brain had already absorbed too much of the whitewashing in those pages to retreat now. So I straight up ignored the poor woman and continued collaging my way into this temporary delusion of whiteness. Big mistake. Her mother wanted to dismantle any misguided notions that Elaine was or could ever be white. Her mother wanted her to see pride in her blackness. Her mom always bought her black dolls and at her friend's house, they always play with white dolls. One time she begged her mom for a new doll and her mom finally <laughs> got it. It was like the, the, you know, the doll of all rage at the time. The one Did, everybody wait, I'm has sorry, to have. Do they still have that? You know, every holiday season, is there one toy everyone wants? Yeah, yeah. I it's think there's still, still a thing. A thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a new PlayStation. Okay, go yeah. ahead. And her mom <laughs> finally bought it. <laughs> but when she got it, Elaine was not pleased. She was like, thank you, mommy. <laughs> her mama was like, girl, I done went all over town to get this. What is you talking about? Thank you, mommy. I need some joy and excitement associated with this. But in reality... The doll was black. It wasn't white. And that. Like the commercial. The commercial had a white doll. Yeah. And that is what Elaine wanted. 
the desire to be white complex started young for her. Only as an adult did she see the subtle messages of white supremacy at work, whiteness as a norm, everything else as a deviation. She could see a racial hierarchy was being enforced, microaggressions such as flesh color band-aids, black and brown dolls were never front and center in advertisements or never existed at all. This made Elaine feel like the world would see her as second best. Black beauty products were hard to find. Ebony and Essence were the only magazines with women on the cover. Excuse me, with black women on the cover. And they weren't e- easy to come by. Kari, do you remember ever wanting to be white growing up? No. Nope. Next. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> do you? But even as... um. Black children, sometimes that happens. It does happen. And and yes, you don't have course. to be a mixed race to do it. It's just the images you see. I think I remember not wanting to be white, but wanting long hair. Oh, the so this towel. is a good question. Yeah, I do remember asking my mom, why are white people so beautiful? Oh, see, there you go. There you go. You started early, huh? Yeah. So that's the thing. But those are the images that are on TV. That's all you see. And yeah, you see uh, white models and actresses on TV. You like, is this what white people look like? Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Part two, seeing the life she wanted. At eight OK, years- I'm so sorry. Real quick. Uh, when I had spent a couple of months in another country, I befriended, uh, well, one of my close, closest friends was Ghanaian. And she was telling me how, well, black Americans, because of the mixed blood, really are just beautiful people. And I said, uh, how many black Americans do you know personally? Uh, she responded, none except me. Uh, but she watched TV shows with mm-hmm. black American mm-hmm. actresses. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, they're models and actresses. And then we went to a, a big convention where there were like Americans and mm-hmm. they did not look like, you know, the cast of <laughs> girlfriends. <laughs> so that says a lot, not just about like growing up black in America, but just seeing a yeah. whole culture through what you're fed from the television. Exactly. Part two, seeing the life she wanted. At eight years old, Elaine and her friend Claudia, who was a, um, was Claudia his Hispanic? She was Mexican? She was Hispanic. I don't remember. I think Mexican. Okay. But I'm not for sure. And so her and her friend, they created a magazine, a beauty salon for a business. Now, they didn't make no money, but they had the customers and everything. They yeah, had, they had a little beauty shop in the backyard. Yes. And this <laughs> so gave cute. Elaine a taste of the life that she wanted. She she was at this tender age making collages. She was um, she had magazines and she put the shiny stuff on it. You know, mm-hmm. she was yeah, like this, saran wrap or something yeah. to make it look shiny. Yeah. Yeah. She was really trying to um, make it big so her customers could come in and have a good experience. She imagined herself <laughs> being Barbara Walters so and Oprah interviewing only the most important. You know what her favorite show was? Girl. Oprah Winfrey. No, Lifetime uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You remember that show? Robin Leach. No. Yes. With Robin Leach. <laughs> I had to keep checking, like, how old is she? But she just got an old soul. Yeah, yeah. So there weren't many people of color on the show, but it allowed her to imagine the life that she wanted for herself. Her mom had a friend she called Aunt who owned a hair salon, Aunt Janet. And 
Aunt Janet was her role model. Aunt Janet had the life that Elaine aspired to. Wait, she had a fancy antique Mercedes Benz. <laughs> she had vacations to Jamaica. She had clothes. She had outfits. Oh. She had body. Okay. And she had the freedom because she had no kids. Mm-hmm. Big so walk-in cool. closet. Well-decorated yeah. apartment. Elaine spent time there. Um, she spent time with this friend and she was in the salon all day while her mom was getting her hair done. That's the thing. That's what we do, you know. Yeah, it is what we do. Oh, uh-huh. the torture. Mm-hmm. And she <laughs> she would watch the women come in and get their hair done, and she would create stories about them, and she would idolize these working women. And she only saw this, so she got the, the salon, but the next time she would see this is in magazines, the Essence magazines. We could um, hear... Elaine's love for magazines and she recognizes what spending time in a beauty salon did for her. It helped her to see the beauty and plurality of black womanhood, black womanhood, and it gave her the counter narrative she needed to see herself and her possibilities. Early on, her dad saw her writing ability and he encouraged her to continue writing. Elaine was an overachiever and she strived to be the best at everything, no matter her circumstance. Curry, do you did you look at magazines, um, these magazines when you were younger, Essence, Ebony, or what were the magazines? Alexis you looked is being at? silly. Okay, so anyway, it is known that uh, look, it's known the world knows. Yeah, the world knows. That uh-huh. I have a deep, deep, deep love for glossy magazines. Mm-hmm. I think they're outdated. I think they're uh, hazardous to the environment, and I will never stop buying them. <laughs> I, I loved. Honey, suede. She talks about suede. I remember suede. It was awesome. <clears throat> All those um, black beauty magazines that were like true glossies. Loved them. But I also love Vogue, Bazaar, and I still buy them. <laughs> so to answer your question, and I've pitched articles. I've, um, I was actually working with a couple magazines. Oh, this is heartbreaking. Like three years ago. And to get your foot in the door is very hard for a freelance writer. Um, but I had a photography story, a photo story that I wanted to write about Lollapalooza. Um, we were all set up and the magazine folded. And Ooh. this is during a time when a lot of magazines were folding and writers weren't being paid. But to answer your question, yeah, I love them. Yes. because So let me just say. Throughout this story, all I could think about was you and how you felt about <laughs> magazines. I just want to share that. They're the greatest. <laughs> and it just, I was like. Way better than books. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh Part three, self-doubt, self-worth, you know. Kari, what are the things that contribute to your self-worth and um, yourself, who you are? in middle school and junior high? Um, we've talked about this in the nature versus nurture. I think that was Trevor Noah's episode. I think number one is the people you live with. Uh, but it is said that no one contributes more to your self-worth if you let them than the students you are around every day at school. That's right. That's right. That is right. So you got the kids you were in school with. Man, and Elaine... Listen, Elaine didn't see herself as beautiful. 
according to a ranking by the fifth grade boys who decided <laughs> to rank the girls from pretty to ugly. Excuse me, but ugly. <laughs> she, <laughs> she found on a bought up piece of paper. Now, she don't remember her exact rankage, but she knows she didn't rank up there with the pretty girls. She said she spent kindergarten to sixth grade invisible to boys. Even though she was smart, funny, athletic, reasonably popular, she did not consider herself attractive compared to other girls. Plus, the petite blonde girls with straight teeth and bangs were in, and her mom wasn't buying her the latest fashion, so she could see this gap widening. She Not only did she not consider herself pretty, but she didn't dress like the cool She wasn't kids. a, a yeah, a fly individual. Mm-hmm. Can I say tell you that this happened to me? I was ranked a seven and that was fine by me. So it was and this is what's really sad. That's this is a why thing? This is why it was fine by me. I was in college. <laughs> and it was a group of like Asian student Asian boys, and they had ranked all the girls in our like group. Of all different races. And one of them told me, yeah, you're the seven. And so I didn't care because I thought, y'all too old for this. And then we got like a big announcement at school. And like some people got in trouble and got kicked out. Kicked out? Oh, this is for ranking girls. (laughs) I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Boys will be boys. In some cases, this is like not hurting anyone, right? I don't know. I'm it saying does. a lot. It helps the it young, hurts, it hurts it hurts the young somebody's self-esteem. But if he it was does. like, you're the three or you're the 10, I would have thought, yeah, but you're the 17-year-old still doing this. <laughs> That's crazy. That is insane. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When she had an opportunity, <laughs> when she had an opportunity to start doing her own hair and she learned it was curly, she embraced it. But it also played a big part in her identity. She wasn't allowed to chemically straighten her hair, so she he styled it straight. And uh, that made me think of you. You don't believe in baby straightening their hair, I and I believe not. in it also. I yeah, don't. love yourself first before you start doctoring mm-hmm. it up. I didn't get my first relaxer until I was starting high school. But Alexis, remember relaxers? Who gets relaxers anymore? I think people like this one woman I follow who's been a natural hair person. She got a relaxer. I wonder why she hate herself. But But then she turned around and did like a big. Ain't nobody who's buying a relaxer. If you buying trust for me stock right now. I got a bridge to sell you. Okay, (laughs) But then she um, turned around and did like a big chop. So she didn't have it Uh, long. Mm-hmm. so she was like but it was a thing she did it but yeah so I didn't get that and then I, I didn't keep it long after um high after I graduated from high school I, I wasn't getting relaxes because I was poor <laughs> <laughs> well good so I had to work some stuff out you know anyway oh so having her hair um straight it helped her shrink herself into a narrow and neat version of what it meant to be pretty she used her hair to morph into other identities or in her skin tone and ethnicities when she wasn't comfortable within her own being biracial light brown and curly hair helped her to blend in with other races again she wasn't comfortable in her own skin when she was in junior high though 
She was the last one standing at a dance. And she went and hid. And guess who was over there hiding with her? Who didn't get All selected? the black girls. All the black girls. She went to a predominantly white school. So that made the difference. By high school, girl, the script was flipped. <laughs> she was in a more diverse. And it wasn't necessarily a good thing. Right. She was in a more diverse student body. And there were black boys her age. And while the white boys didn't find her attractive and desirable, the black boys was ready to holler. She found this exciting. She now became this exotic, light-skinned, long-haired chick. Right? And guess mm-hmm. what? Elaine got a boyfriend and fell in love. Womp womp. Anyway, she followed him exactly. to college, even though she had uh, higher aspirations. She followed him to the local college, but she wanted to go like to, um, to Stanford. Yale. Oh, Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a She thing. was Ivy League bound, but this boy who looked like Trey Songs and somebody <laughs> else, uh, she, she describes him and he was like, you coming where I come? And she was like, I am. And her parents were like, sure. Mm-hmm. She was like, if I was my parents, I would have never allowed this. Mm-hmm. We love judging our parents. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. But they had, <laughs> they worked with the resources they had at the time. Remember that about parents, y'all. I have to tell my mama that. I was like, I understand. Yeah, You work true. with the resources that you had at the time and uh, you did the best you could for me. Mm-hmm. This is all I am. <laughs> and resources aren't just monetary. Yeah. You, you do what you know to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so, mm-hmm. it, yeah, just that's a whole nother drill. But anyway, <laughs> so um, I'm not going to talk about her boyfriend. I'm going to say she stayed in a relationship. He went to jail. <laughs> he cheated on her. This is bad. Like, this is something that only happens to uh, Joan. Uh, what's her name? <laughs> <laughs> from girlfriends yes this is only this only happens to Joan Clayton it also happens to Elaine Welteraw <laughs> like where are your friends girl mm. who allowed you but see people like this they keep secrets from their friends Ooh, cause if and you she told did. your friend she did yeah she, she did, did. She that did. boy was in jail she hardly told anyone I don't even think she told her parents mm-hmm. she was waiting for him when he got out of jail he was the type of guy who was living on campus but not going to school mm-hmm just no future in that relationship and she like she stuck beside him <laughs> of course stick beside him yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna stick yeah. beside him mm-hmm. so she didn't so the lessons that she got in that relationship they didn't quite register yet they transferred transferred she didn't quite transfer those lessons to the next relationship as quickly as she would have liked so you know her relationships mm-hmm. were like that for a while until she you know came to appreciate herself and a lot of things. So moving right on, part four, identity and growth opportunities and advancement. While Elaine was in college, she found a professor that she connected with and that person became her um, kind of a mentor, the mentor. They formed a mentor-mentee relationship, a friendship. You know, she really valued this person. The professor taught intro to rhetorical criticism. The class was designed to introduce techniques and strategies for analyzing messages of persuasion from mass media. And through an in-depth study of the song by India Irie, I Am Not My Hair, Elaine learned to choose her own blackness and embrace what it meant to be in Black America. What her mom tried to instill in her while growing up finally started to click and Elaine felt empowered remember Aunt Janet well Mm -hmm. 
I, Janet, had a daughter named Shay, who was a publicist at an entertainment PR firm and was able to get Elaine an internship during her college winter break. During the intern, during the internship, is it, what is that word? Internship. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. During the internship, she met a young female TV producer that made her think differently. She told her that you are so much bigger than you know. And through this opportunity, like the next day, Elaine was sent to cover a Warner Brothers musical showcase as an on-air reporter. And her job was to interview Talib Kweli on camera. But the odds were not in her favor. So you got this young girl interning. She did get a little pumped up by the conversation with the TV producer, but she's in a room full of reporters waiting to get the same interview. And she was warned, Twalib might not show. He's already got an approved list of interview, interviews that he'll do. So you might just, you might not get any access to him at all. But right. Elaine was ready. And when Talib came out, all the other reporters were shouting, Talib, 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 Talib over here. She cut through the crowd, walked up to Talib, and was the only one to get the interview. She was empowered. She felt good. She came. That is tacky. Okay. As a, uh, <laughs> as a once upon a time journalist, you do not cut in front of your peers to speak to the subject. You do not do it. However. I already said it, y'all. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes tacky works. Sometimes mm-hmm. tacky is brave because everybody's trying to get what they want. They don't care about you. They work for other publications. Yeah, go on do it. It's tacky, though. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, did you hear what Kyrie said? She said your move was tacky. Okay. Look, look. Mm-hmm. That's what Obviously, she has said. Obviously, tacky works, girl. Okay, don't listen to me. <coughs> I'm a copy. I'm a lowly copywriter. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Elaine learned um, while in college, she discovered a program called the Multicultural Advertising Intern Program. And it was a gateway for students of color to land paid internships at top advertising agencies all over the world. This gave Elaine an opportunity to intern at a major advertising company in New York City. But it wasn't what she wanted. Um, It wasn't what she expected. She didn't enjoy the experience. She met a new brand of white people that wouldn't even look her in the face. Let me tell you. Yeah, these were East Coast um, Ivy League white people and she was like uh, at least in the Bay we like kind of shared a common culture mm-hmm. with, with the Bay culture but these people were both classes racist mm-hmm. <laughs> and they wouldn't even you know sexist they didn't see her she was yeah, invisible she was invisible but through that experience she met and confided in and commiserated with another student and began to rethink her life plan advertising was not it Elaine wanted to go into magazine journalism. She thought back to the first day of her journalism class where the professor said, if you get published in a major magazine, you get an automatic A and you don't have to return to class. So Elaine reached out to a connection that she made while working as a student. And boom, guess what? 
she got published at the okay, now. There's a little there's a little gem in this story. She pitched an article to figure magazine. I remember figure it's for plus. It was mm-hmm. for plus size yep. women. She is not a plus size woman. However, she wrote the article. It was accepted, published. She got an A in the class. If you're trying to get your work out there, look beyond your own niche. Oh, that's a that is that's a, good, a gem. That is a nice little gem if you're in this area. Yeah, especially if you're trying to build up your portfolio, go where the people ain't, mm-hmm. and you know, show them what you can do. So she was able to publish for this magazine for a while and not go back to that class. But through this, no, she just published the one article. I thought she did too. No, Mm-mm. okay. Um, Elaine found out that she was finishing school sooner than she expected. And needed to find something before she finished. She thought she had like a year left. She only had like, a semester. No, you're graduating early. Yay. Ah, She's like, huh? I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. She wasn't ready. She thought she still mm-hmm. had time. Elaine knew from a previous internship that she needed to find something she loved because she would spend the majority of her waking hours there. Flashback to a discussion <laughs> that we had. With yeah, the I don't thing. believe in that. Do you love what you do? Where Kari doesn't believe you have to love you what you do. You better make that money. Let me well, remind you. That's from the episode Convenience Store Woman. Okay, Kari? I'm not yeah. the only one that feels that you need to love what you do. Well, y'all can be delusional together. Mm-hmm. If you got to do Elaine it for... You and Elaine Walter Roth, you in good company. <laughs> Eight hours a day, you need to love what you do. So, Elaine decided that she wanted to apply for an internship at Essence Magazine because this would be like a dream opportunity. She knew it would be hard, but it would be a dream opportunity. And she was determined to stand out. So in her application, she completed, she added a video, she made a magazine mock-up, she wrote a letter to the editor about how much Essence has meant to her. And after she completed the application, she looked through her mom's magazines and she saw Alicia Keys on the cover. And then she noticed a writer's name. And the writer's name was Harriet Cole. Elaine thought to herself, you know, I'm all, I'm used to looking through these magazines, but I, I never ever thought about the people who actually made the magazines. So she decided to look up Harriet Cole. Quick internet search about Harriet told her that she was a black woman and she was a creative director at Ebony. She had worked her way up in essence under Susan L. Taylor. She was a best-selling author and she was a contributor on the Today Show. She started a production company. She launched her own magazine called Uptown, a upscale lifestyle magazine for affluent black people. Kari, do you remember that magazine? I do. Yeah, I do. And I never read it, but I remember. And Elaine decided she had to meet Harriet. Elaine saw Harriet as the blueprint for her own path. Once in the dark about her future, Elaine now saw a clear path and she was determined to meet Harriet. So she wrote an introduction letter to Harriet. She sent it snail mail and email. Then she followed up with a phone call. Elaine wrote an introduction letter to Harriet, sent it snail mail and email, then followed up with a phone call until she was granted access 
Elaine was scheduled for a 15-minute call with Harriet. They spoke for 45 minutes. And as they wrapped up the call, Elaine said, if there is ever an opportunity to work with you, please do keep me in mind. It would be an honor. So this is a big deal. She didn't even think she would get the call. She was stalking the office. The secretary was about to put her on the um, do not fly list because they're in separate states. And she's talking about, I'll yeah. grab, I, you know, I'm ready to grab a coffee with her. And the person who answered the phone was like, a coffee? We're in California. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm there all the time. <laughs> or where was it? Not, New York. New York. Yeah, yeah. New York, and yeah. she was, Elaine was in California. She was like, yeah, I'm bi-coastal. Yeah. She wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, I stopped by in the morning <laughs> with the coffee. Yeah, how she like it, how she take it. So she was ready Mm -hmm. to do whatever it took. And I think it was on that note. Like, she's like, this lady desperate. It made me crazy. She said, do not fly here. We are going (laughs) to see what we can do. We'll do the best we can for you, ma'am. Anyway, so after Elaine graduated, her goals were clear and written out. Plan A, land paid internship with Essence. Plan B, pursue a summer internship at another big publishing house. Plan C, get accepted into a top-tier journalism graduate program. Plan D, find a local editor, editorial summer internship in San Francisco, then start her graduate program in the fall at whatever Ivy League school accepted her. She knew her plan required action steps, so she moved back home and she got started on her plan. She was going to get as many jobs as possible, save 10000 and move to New York by June 1. And she put her head down and got to work. She got like two jobs the first day back mm-hmm. or something. She wasn't good at none of them. <laughs> she was a waitress that reminds right? me of what Kylie said don't be good at something you don't what is it what yes was that's it? what Kylie said something like don't try to be good Kylie Reed the author of such a fun age told us basically don't try to be good at something you're not trying to do so you might yep. be I think in Elaine's case she was a hostess maybe for a restaurant or something she was doing she was a waitress oh, she but was, she, had she good couldn't remember the orders skills. she was dropping stuff but she was chatting them up schmoozing mm-hmm. and she'd take home schmoozing. good tips mm-hmm. yeah that was the thing <laughs> but guess what she got the call back from Essence they accepted her, her um, accepted her as an intern and when they asked which area she wanted to work in, she said, I'm just happy to be here. I work a janitor job. I'd be grateful for any position. Elaine had made it. Her plan was coming together. And now, 30 days before she was to start Essence, she received a phone call from guess who? Harriet. That's right. Harriet Cole. And Harriet Cole offered her the opportunity of a lifetime to interview as Harriet's assistant. Um, since Harriet's assistant would be moving to Italy. And to interview, she was offered an opportunity to work as a local production assistant where she would be paid $250 for the day. Elaine jumped at the opportunity. The day of the event, um, I think it was just the, like the next day. So she drove over to the town where it was. And there was no real job instructions given to her. 
Um, and she was told not to speak to the talent. That was like the most important thing. She was given the she title. Had, she just didn't know what the title did. No, no. Oh, I see what you're instruction. saying. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't given any instruction. Yeah. And when she arrived, she learned that she was handling the cover shoot for Serena Williams. She had met. Um, she wasn't handling it like she was supposed to be there. To get people coffee if they needed she it. She was a production assistant. <laughs> was, I don't yeah, know the yeah. job title. So she had stuff to do and she was there. Don't diminish her work. Don't <laughs> well, do it's that. a production that assistant. Is. So you there to get whatever people who can't leave the set need, which is usually Don't diminish coffee. her work, though, okay? <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't well, do she like turns that. A, it's always a hater in there, ain't it? It's always a hater. They something can't... into everything. She did well. Mm-hmm. There you go. But anyway, when she got there, she met a woman who had worked for her Aunt Janet and she was Serena's hairdresser. So Elaine was introduced and Serena was talking to her, even though she wasn't supposed to be talking. She was like, but she talked to me. <laughs> she talked to me. So by the time Harry arrived, everything was under control and Elaine had established a good rapport with everyone on set. Elaine even spoke up about what Serena should wear for the shoot. Harriet didn't tell Elaine to stay in her lane mm. when she made the suggestion. Instead, Harriet followed Elaine's advice and Elaine came to see Harriet as a woman boss that elevated everyone around her. Uh, she was representative of a true leader who stands in her power without making the people around her feel small. Serena wore the suit, uh, Elaine suggested, and it made it to the cover issue. Harriet hired Elaine that day, gave her the same money that Essence offered her, and Harriet told Elaine, I've been where, you, where you're trying to go, and the opportunities that you'll have with me, they're not available at Essence, so this is better. This is better. So Elaine mustered the courage and called Essence and declined the internships. Her friends thought she was crazy. She thought she was crazy. She had told them people, I'll be a janitor. And then she called and said, I'm going to Ebony. And they was like, oh, <laughs> Ebony? Because that's not the, you know, that's not the cool f- style of publication. Um, right. You dropping us for yeah. Ebony? <laughs> yeah, we wish you the best with that. that. Bye. Mm-hmm. But at the time, Essence was owned by a white organization and e- Ebony was still black owned. So no. Mm-hmm. Elaine hit the ground running at Ebony. She had more opportunities because they had smaller budgets in Essence. Ebony had to do everything themselves and Elaine made it work. Two weeks into her internship, she found herself on set with Michelle Obama just two months before her husband's historic win. By the end of her first day working at Ebony, she realized that she needed to set her sights higher. Her goal, make her way to Condé Nast, the most prestigious international publishing house of all. And it included uh, magazines like Vogue, Vanity Fair, and Glamour. Yeah, Elaine had never imagined herself at any of those titles. And she never saw herself on the pages of those magazines. But she was determined to get to Condé Nast, yeah. which she called the Condé Castle. <laughs> One last thing about her work at Ebony. When she, when the summer came to an end, Elaine kept coming to work and kept getting paid. You know, the internship <laughs> oh, ends. It's like ends on Friday. But she just kept coming to work. And they kept paying yeah. her, so she kept coming. 
So one day she changed her title from editorial intern to production assistant and she told um and she took on more responsibility and when Harriet's assistant finally left for Italy, Elaine had taken on the bulk of her responsibility. So she went to Harriet for a raise and a permanent position. Elaine asked for 20. They came back with 12. Elaine said, hmm, let me think about it. And then say, well, you know, I really can't do that. Can y'all rethink it? The recession was in full swing. People was losing their job left and right. The people at Essence where she was an intern, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody stuck around there because, you know, they weren't in a recession. She called Harry to tell her she couldn't see herself doing that work for less than 20 and asked the company to reconsider and to apply a little pressure, she didn't show up for work the next Bold. day. Y'all. She did not show up for work just to see, you know, you're going to see what it's like without me. Person yes. that's only supposed to be an intern that's overstayed my welcome and got the Chicago office to call me by a new title. <laughs> Scared and nervous about whether she would be fired on the spot, Elaine went into work the following day. Harriet told her, Your move was risky. I wouldn't have advised you to move that way, but it was smart, and she was proud of her for asking what she deserved. Elaine got that raise. Got that 20. The recession was in full swing and people in publishing, as well as in practically every other industry, were losing their jobs left and right. Rumor had it that for the first time, not a single editorial intern was hired at Time Inc. that summer, which meant had I taken that Essence internship after all, I would have inevitably been shipped back to California in August and dumped into the shipwreck of other recent grads desperate to find work. Choosing Ebony, the decidedly less sexy option, ultimately saved me from the unemployment line. And here I was risking all that to make a few more dollars an hour. After praying about it, I trusted my instincts and decided to go bold or go home. I called Harriet to explain that I simply could not see doing this job at their proposed rate with the rapidly rising cost of living in New York City. I politely asked if the company would reconsider their position. And as a bargaining tactic, I refrained from work the next day to apply pressure to the negotiation. This was by far the boldest move I made in my non-existent career. And I certainly do not recommend this tactic. I could hardly sleep that night. My mind raced the entire next day. Had I just made a huge mistake? Would Harriet fire me on the spot the next day? Who could know? I was just 21, trying to make it in a world I hardly understood. The next morning, I was terrified to walk into Harriet's office. Good morning, I said timidly, holding her venti hazelnut misto light on the milk. Without looking up from her computer, she said, have a seat. I was shook. My body quivered as I lowered myself into her taupe leather couch. When she finally lifted her eyes from the keyboard, she glared at me. Elaine, what you did yesterday. When her nose flared, my jaw clenched and my throat tightened into a knot. She was speaking in a tone I did not recognize. All I kept thinking was, this is bad, this is bad. Yep, you screwed this up. What you did yesterday was very risky and I would not have advised going about it the way you did. She went on, but it was smart. And I am proud of you for asking for what you believe you deserve. Elaine's next opportunity came through a beauty editor named Holly, 
who worked at Nylon, the indie culture magazine um, for old fashioned kids and emo kids. Um, this Holly eventually got the senior beauty editor role at Glamour. So she told Elaine they were interviewing for a beauty writer and asked if Elaine wanted him. She took the edit test, met with some executive editors, and boom, guess what? She got that job too. Yeah. She was finally in the Condi Castle. Elaine's next job was senior beauty editor. Now, her opportunities are just like falling into her lap. Now, guess what happened next? Elaine's next opportunity came from Eva Chen. Now, I don't know Eva Chen. I'm not in the industry. I don't know anything about it. But she was the beauty and health director. (laughs) You and Eva Chen? Really? At Teen Vogue. Now, Eva was one of the first in the mag world to embrace social media. And she even started the hashtag outfit of the day. Well, Elaine told, excuse me, Eva told Elaine she was leaving Ting Vogue and she was suggesting people to fill her role. And she suggested Elaine. Elaine, well, of course, thought this was a wonderful opportunity, but she also didn't feel like the time was right. And that, you know, if she went to interview for that job, it might not look good. And she didn't want to make a, you know, lose any opportunities. Right. So Eva was like, okay, cool. But a week or two later, Elaine found out she was a front runner for Eva's position. Now, that's interesting to me. I, 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 I appreciate how Eva was able to go back and put her in there without um, messing up her relationship within the organization. Yeah, because she was at Glamour. And so she's like, I'm not trying to ruin my thing at Glamour by going out for another job with Team Vogue. I better not rock the boat. I'm new. Let right. me just sit this out, put my work in here and see what happens. And he yeah. was like, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, Eva went mm-hmm. essentially behind her back and was like, this mm-hmm. is who I want. And in my mind, Eva was very determined to have a woman of yeah. color in that role. And yeah, Elaine was the best like. candidate all around and a woman mm-hmm. of color. And Eva wasn't going to take no for an answer. <laughs> yeah, and I that's love what it, it sounds like. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. And guess what? Elaine got the position. Elaine Welterwalt was the first black beauty editor at Condé Nast. 107-year history. So Elaine is in at Team Vogue. She had to do some research first to, you know, kind of get herself caught up because she's not a teen. She don't have um, nieces and nephews. So she had to do, you know, some research and kind of, get herself ready for that. And she did that because, you know, we've already learned she's like a go-getter. She um, strives to be the best at whatever it is she does. So now here she is, Team Vogue, and she's determined to make a change in all that's um, going on. She's going to improve, uh, put the cultural spin on Team Vogue. During this time, she is living life, uh, reconnecting with parts of herself through the help of a friend who took her to Africa. She sat on the floor and received some like Senegalese twists, came back to corporate America with those twists um, as a representation that she doesn't have to white herself up to be accepted, Mm -hmm. to be professional or to be beautiful. Um, She was motivated, not just by this, but also just by her the experiences she had in life to talk about how hair is so political. Um, but how, and then there was like 
um, remember Zendaya was on the runway yep. and someone said her twist basically must smell like weed. That's racist. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she wanted to shine a light on the beauty of African hair, the regalness of it. Um, mm-hmm. and how, and, and just draw people's attention to the fact that you don't see it as beautiful. You don't see it as professional, but you see it as fun and you want to do it when the festival circuit comes around. So what's that about? Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. let's enlighten you. This is a, a teachable moment. So she championed this article in teen Vogue, which is huge because teen Vogue huge. was for white children (laughs) up Mm -hmm. until this point she wanted to wake up the magazine so to speak so she published this article about braids in the magazine i do remember this backlash because the lead model um in the article you know some white i was i don't want to say she's white passing but yeah so she looks white Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is of mixed heritage, something that a lot of people might not know unless she said it. Um, Yeah. And they didn't know she had to actually type it and um, say it in a a chat or excuse me, in social media. That to me is tertiary to the two points that one, you chose someone that isn't. So as an editor, it's your job to get your point across with as little clues as possible. So you have to get that point home Mm -hmm. in the photo right away. Because people shouldn't have to sit down and look at the background of your model. And then number two, there are multiple photos in the article. And if you see them here, all of these children, Zoe Kravitz, Zendaya, beautiful, Uh, her herself, Elaine, all beautiful, all beautiful, all mixed race, very light skin. That's a problem. mm -hmm. In addition, there are three white models. (laughs) And um, I'm going to include Paris Jackson. You do with that what you want. So people was like, people was like, but first of all, I'm never buying a Teen Vogue again because it it has a white model modeling um, black hair. And then the model was like, hey, y'all, I'm black. Appropriation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm black. And everybody was like, okay, but no one cares because we had to like be told you was black and everyone in the article is so bright light or white that's a problem mm-hmm. you got these twists yeah, and cynical girl mm-hmm. uh, Elaine so um, usually <laughs> in the internet world when something like this happens you are written off but Elaine I think made space for herself to learn and showed improved real quick to the point really where if quickly. you're still holding on to this mistake she made, it is clearly a mistake. Very wrong. Ooh, just terrible. If you're still holding on to it, though, that says more about you than to do about her. Because she, like, um, made sure that in the future she took her mantle very seriously and represented for, um, I'll say, like, for more diverse skin tones throughout the Black mm-hmm. diaspora. Mm-hmm. In a magazine, again, that forever was just for white children. So you really yeah. are asking her to, to undo uh, what's been done for a gajillion years. But but yeah, some but yeah, that's what because it's across the board. Yeah. Those magazines are white, yeah. white facing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Also, like yeah. somewhere around this time, a guy who like had the best game in the world, who she was dating, I want to say for three years and thought she would marry was um, cheating on her in the worst way. 
Like there, there may have been a secret pregnancy. It was with a coworker. He came to town, visited the UN, did not take her, took the coworker and the mom, but was like, there's nothing going on between me and the coworker. That was a lie. Um, and all of it came out in an email from a stranger. So she reading the email like, hey, fashion girl, I got to tell you about your life and the man that you think you love. And she's like, this is crazy. Someone's obviously stalking me. Uh, it came to be that this was true. And she still did not leave him for a few more months. So her mama came to town and was like, if you call this num- his number again, I will break every single finger on your hand. <laughs> Basically, her mom was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> That was me. Okay. So basically her mom was like, um, we love you. Your friends love you. I love you. Next time you want to call someone you love, that's not him. He don't love you. Call <laughs> us. Uh, so there we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be wanting to talk about the men in her life because they was trash, trash yeah. and beyond trash. But they did a, have an effect on um, her um grow you know her life (laughs) honestly Mm -hmm. and it's real like pushing through yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so as she's you know moving and shaking through um where's she at team vogue she's at team (laughs) vogue yes she is finally so the situation arises where they going through some changes the economy is probably bad and somebody gets pushed out and they make a scenario. What is the woman's name? Anna Wintour. They, Anna Wintour. Calls her in her office. This is huge. And, and she's like, this is what we're going to do. You're going to be the, what's her role? Yeah, so you're going to be editor-in-chief, but you're basically one of three heads. Also, uh, but she didn't tell her that right away. That's right. She didn't tell her that right away. So she's like, Okay, and up until I this gotta point, think about this. Yeah, up until this point, Elaine has very in a um, she's been very good at making sure she gave herself the time and space to consider every major decision. Mm-hmm. However, Anna Wintour is Anna Wintour, so just because you yeah. work at Teen Vogue, don't mean you're getting meetings with Anna. This was like the second time she ever even yeah. breathed air with her. Um, so yeah. it's a private meeting in the office. Anna's like, "I love you. I respect you." I think you are what this publication needs. We're making you chief editor. And here's the press release we're releasing in less than an hour. Sign it. Oh, and if you Pressure. if you don't sign Pressure. it, you're just not here anymore, basically, is implied. Yeah. Um, Pressure. And then, yeah, she she came onto the role as editor, realized she was one of three heads. Her pay was mm-hmm. nothing like it should have been. Nothing was right. And this is what she's realizing in private while publicly um, you know, black girls all over the world are like, yes, one for us. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm not comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, it felt like an imposter um, situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she she works in this role and she I think she made an initial request that was kind of rebuffed. But by the end of the year, she said after doing it a year, she was brought up to the standards that she should have been. And this is where she realized, like, you guys are telling me to be quiet about asking for this money that I feel like and it I'm wasn't worth. just money. It was like the position wasn't right. She didn't Everything. have the control yeah. that she's supposed to have as editor. 
mm-hmm. like a token. She felt like it was like publicly yeah. you can get the praise for having a black editor, chief editor, editor in chief. But you're not really giving me that role behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And and she felt diminished in that way. So when she's bringing it to HR, they're like, you need to really be quiet about this. And she's like, well, that's odd because in our publications, we telling women how to do this mm-hmm. and you shushing me. Exactly. I don't know if that's that's I don't know if that's something I like. Mm-hmm. But eventually she did get the money um, and position after showing she deserved. she she deserved the role, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. So they hired her, then she put in the work. Uh mm-hmm. and then Anna made sure she got everything she wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And then she stayed with them until they became an online magazine only. But they were gonna create a position for her. And she yes, was they were willing to. She was mm-hmm. um, you know, Brother Vale, the designer of that line, um, is black owned too, but she has artisans all over the world that create like I love their shoes so they create beautiful leathers and things like that but anyway that's like one of her closest friends and she um I think her name is Angela James she she had a party for her and all her friends were there and it was the perfect opportunity to tell a select group of people this isn't just my party this is my changing paths in life party and she decided no Vogue you don't need to write a new position for me I'm gonna leave and do something else it's time to move on and they gave her and they wished her well. Anna Wintour wished her well. Mm-hmm. She did not burn a bridge with that exit. So that's the story, folks. Shall we take a break? Sure, let's do it. All right. final verdict and would you recommend this book my final verdict is that as a memoir um i felt this book is a great lesson in um courage professional um you know tenacity i love that word and um i really felt like elaine put it all on the table as necessary she talked about how things weren't so pretty with her romantic relationships or even her health at all times. But this Mm -hmm. was um, her path in life. And she was, she was on a, most people don't graduate college and get into what they went to school to do, especially writers. And it wasn't like she had the connections as a kid or anything. She made those connections. So for anyone, man, I mean, this book is great for someone who 10 years ago wanted to get a start in writing and wanted to see how it was done. Now things are a little different, but you can be published, especially with online articles for online magazines, (coughs) online publications. Um, But she made sure to contact the right people to present herself in the correct way. And she did the work. She's a talented writer, a skill that her father saw in her when she was very little. And she honed in on that. Um, She also had a plan. Every part of her life, she was um, on her plan. And when plans changed, she changed with them. Um, So that was awesome. I I just really felt like I enjoyed her story. And it'd be a great tool for um, those entering the industry, uh, the writing, editing industry, to just have in their back pocket, like a little mentor in a book. Um, Because she's really laying down all of her, her, um, 
highs and lows. So uh, my final verdict is really well done, Elaine. I enjoyed kicking it with you. I listened to this book over Audible. So the um, the way your mom and dad and their beautiful, deep voices popped in. And then at the end of the book, she interviews them and they like, I don't like the way you told this part of the story because that ain't what I remember. <laughs> that was so cute. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So I would definitely recommend it. Uh, five stars all around. What about you? Did you what, what's your final verdict? And would you recommend this book? I enjoyed the book. I, I don't. I enjoyed it mostly because it reminded me of you. Oh, boy. Looking at magazines. Yeah, I mean, we're like the same. Like, I'm an unsuccessful Elaine. That's what I think. It totally, I'm like, this could have totally been Kari oh. if she chose that, uh-huh. you know, path. Yeah. That I, I could totally see that being you. It was just so fun. It's like, it's like I'm reading Kari's path. This is mm. so cool because I just think about all your magazines and your fashion. It's like, that's not me at all. I mean, I don't know why you think I, I that's not my thing. I, it's totally Kari. And that's, so that's why I had the most fun with it. Yes, there are oh. lots of tips for success and lessons learned in here. They are great and valuable. But I love this book so much because it reminded me of Kari and what her life could that's be something if only she's a friend taking would tell that you. path. So. Yeah, I'm nobody. You know that. <laughs> hey, reader, by this time, we all friends. You know I ain't nobody. Alexis just loves me and I love her back. So that's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, that's why I enjoyed it the most. So I would definitely recommend it to anybody. Who knows uh, me. You know, (laughs) stop it. (laughs) But do you think like uh, someone who's not interested in um, fashion or design? Yeah, that's what I was just getting ready to say. I would recommend it to even those people because there are just some core principles in here about... um, looking out for yourself, asking for what you want that you can use in any area of any field of work. So I think that makes the book great. So any area could use it, even though it's very, um, it's, you know, it's from a fashion standpoint. Yeah. The principles are there that you can use it um, no matter your field of work. So yes, I would definitely recommend it. I enjoyed the book a lot. I love it. Okay, well, that brings us to an end of another amazing show. What are we reading next week, Alexis? We are reading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, part one. I've been eager to read this book for over a year. So it's going to be awesome to finally dive into it. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. when we read Isabel Wilkerson's... um, Dang. The, the warmth of other suns. When, yeah. when we when we read the warmth of other suns, Isabel Wilkerson's um, other like nonfiction, we interviewed our family. We got to know our own past a little more. Perhaps we'll do the same with cast or bring in some new goodies. We'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. But thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Also visit LitSocietyPodShop.com to shop our merchandise. It is comfy. It is fun. We have homemade candles inspired by the books we read. It is great. Again, LitSocietyPodShop.com. And until next time, readers, read something. something.